Welcome to WP Tonic Roundtable Podcast, where a panel of leading WordPress junkies discusses the latest WordPress and internet stories of the week. Now, on with the show with your moderator, Jonathan Denwood. Welcome back, folks, to the WP Tonic Roundtable show. This is episode 525. We record this on every Friday around 8.30 a.m. Pacific Standard Time. It's August the 27th, 2020. Um... Got a great panel. I think it's going to be a great show. I'm going to let my co-host on my interview show introduce himself, Adrian. Adrian, would you like to introduce, quickly introduce yourself? Hi, everyone. My name is Adrian. I am the CEO and founder of Groundhog. We help small businesses that use WordPress launch their funnel and grow their list and scale their business with proven digital marketing automation CRM tools. And I've got my friend, John Locke. John, would you like to introduce yourself? Sure thing. John Locke, I do uh, SEO for manufacturing firms. Yeah, he's a farmer of chickens as well. Uh, um, and I've got, I've got Uncle Spencer with us. Spencer, would you like to introduce yourself? You know, it's episode 525. It seems like just yesterday it was episode 524. My, how far you've come. This show has been around for a long time, John. I got to tell it's, you. It's like a virus. It won't go away. It is. It's just it's uh, right. like... It's like the second coming of the, of the Jonathan, uh, Jonathan virus part two. Um, Spencer Foreman from launchflows.com. Yeah, it's a bit like Adrian. The longer he's my co-host, the more serious he looks. There you go. Oh, there we got a smile, actually. We've got a smile. Uh, um, Steve, <laughs> Stephen, would you like to introduce yourself? Yeah, Stephen Satter from zipfish.io. We specialize in making WordPress fast. That's great. And I've got my friend Sally. Sally, would you like to introduce yourself? The token lady. That's right. Sally Gatch, experienced token woman. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> What's it like to be a token? <laughs> Sorry. Oh, well, gosh, Jonathan. Um, have you ever been in a space where you were the only person like you? It was obvious. There's only one me. Yes, dear. But but for instance, um, I, I was asked to I was asked to speak at a like women in consulting or something like that um, event, and and my husband came with me, and it was, you know, there were probably a couple hundred people there, and of them maybe five were men, and uh, himself felt super self conscious the entire time. Uh, on account of being so outnumbered. Um, well, there you go. I'll, I'll just be happy. And it's like, When well, you get to my age, you've got five ladies around you. You just, you're just happy. So you have to understand that this is what uh, people face going into any space where, uh, you know, they are the different and noticeable one and have to represent not just themselves, but, you know, uh, eh, uh, every other, I, I'm not qualified to speak for every woman on the planet. Oh, you do a fantastic job, actually, Sally. You do a fantastic I, job. I, I, I have opinions, you know, uh, as, as far as the eye can see, but those, <sighs> those are my opinions. I do not claim to, to speak for everyone female. All right, there we go. Um, so before we go into our first stories, I just want to mention one of our great sponsors. been sponsoring the show for a couple of years now. That's Kinsta Hosting. Kinsta Hosting is only a WordPress premier hosting provider, i.e. they only work with WordPress. And if you're working with a client or you're looking for a great hosting provider yourself, you get everything you're looking for if you've got a learning management system, WooCommerce, anything where you need Premier WordPress hosting, Kinsta is the choice you should look at. And they provide all the bells and whistles, latest version of PHP, one-click backup, and a fantastic UX design and also fantastic support as well. So if that's interesting for you or your clients, go over to Kinsta. Buy one of their packages and also tell them that you heard about them on the WP Tonic show. So into story one, um, Apple apologizes to WordPress. Won't force the free app to add to purchases after all. What did you think of this one, Spencer? I found it interesting because I'm a house full of kids who play Fortnite. And I don't know if you guys know... (laughs) of the producer of Fortnite is Epic Games, and they're a multi-billion dollar company. And if you don't know what it is, it's one of those 
you know, every kid under the age of something plays in many adults. Uh, although I don't happen to play that, I understand the draw of it. It's a multi, multi-billion dollar game. So anyway, what happened is they started out, many people played on iPad and iPhone, so they have a version of it for iOS, as well as Android, as well as, you know, uh, Xbox and PC and so forth. <clears throat> Long story short, just like with some other people, including um, the co-founder of Basecamp, uh, they said, wait a second, Apple, this 30% is a crock of shit after you're a little developer because we're bringing in billions of dollars and hundreds of millions are going through your store and you're taking a third of it, right? So David Hennemeyer Hansen from Basecamp came out on this about their new Hey app, uh, Hey email thing we talked about the other week. So they were the first ones, again, just like I hope Elementor will be in the space of WordPress, to say, hey, which finger am I holding up behind this hand here, Apple? Because we're not going to give you 30% anymore. And so there's a showdown. And I love this. This is quite exciting to me because what's essentially happening is every company worth its weight is now going to do the same thing to Apple. Interestingly enough, somehow Mullenweg and his cohorts figured out a way to weasel out of the controversy and get a pass. Whereas Epic Games, who's a multi-billion dollar company, and of course the founders of Basecamp didn't get a pass. And you're going to see the cracks in the foundation of Apple's argument. Why? Because in the Sherman and the Clayton Acts and all the other previous historical antitrust stuff, you cannot do favoritism. You cannot have a monopoly and then show favoritism to this company over that company or other because that's the definition of being monopolistic. And so I think Apple has bought themselves a very interesting problem here because giving a pass to WordPress is just completely validating David Hennemeyer Hansen's case and giving all the evidence that Epic needs to show that this is BS. And the usury part of it is interesting as well because when you look at what happened with Apple, back when the iPhone was created, nobody imagined billion-dollar games on the iPhone store, right, or the iPad store. But, like, literally... All they're doing is providing a billboard and they're taking, hey, how about give, you give us like a third of your money over here? Because like uh, we're doing your big favor. Give us it would be too bad if something happened to your app. You know what I'm saying? <clears throat> yes. I'm going to break your leg. Isn't, so isn't I don't, there a big, isn't there a big go, difference? Go, Stephen, go. Yeah. Sorry. Isn't there a big difference, Spencer, though, between what Facebook was doing and what, um, like, everybody else is mad about the 30%? Like, that... Facebook actually, or not Facebook, sorry, WordPress, was actually... Well, they're both the same. (laughs) But uh, WordPress wasn't selling things in-app, right? Like, you couldn't buy anything in-app, right? Where Fortnite is saying, buy things in-app with our credits that you're paying through a third system. Like, from a legal perspective, I guess, like, to me, that feels like a big difference, but I'm not, I haven't done very much. Right, except that if you've looked at the details, um, and there's a, Sarah Gooding (laughs) writes a a piece about this in the... uh, uh, in the tavern that's kind of a follow-up that says, you know, on the surface, it seemed Apple was forcing a free app to add in-app purchases solely to extract a 30% cut of the revenue. The problem was if users drilled down deep enough into the into web help pages, they could find a window to escape the walled garden uh, right. and, and essentially somewhere buried deep in the iOS app uh, was a way to like pay for Jetpack uh, services outside of uh, the Apple uh, store. And so, you know, Apple apologized, but also Mullenweg agreed to take that out of the app. Right. Um, and sure. so, uh, <clears throat> you know, it's it, it was uh, not a straight win necessarily for WordPress. Now, personally, I think the WordPress users win if that shit is taken out of the app. And, and there have been a lot of people saying, hey, we have to, uh, keep separate the .org and the .com stuff, and and you know this is this is messing us up. Um, mm. What do you reckon, Adrian? Well, on the subject of favoritism, I mean, it falls apart where Jeff Bezos gets fifteen percent instead of thirty. Right, that's kind of really where the argument falls apart in terms of we treat all developers the same. Well, then why did Prime Video get fifteen instead of thirty? Exactly. That's that's no no behavior, right? That's that's sus. That's pretty shady. So that I mean, for me, that's where the argument falls apart. Uh, but he I wants mean, to go to Mars, Adrian. 
money. I guess he needs the extra, right? Um, He's going to be able to get there on just climbing a stack of dollar bills soon. Exactly, you know. Look, he's got big ambitions. He wants to go to bars. He needs the money agent. You know, that's why he can't pay those workers less than a minimum wage, you know. That was was the deal for... Uh, so Apple gave him 15% for launching on iOS first, which was the, the exclusivity deal that they cut. And But if that's not the way that they treat everyone for exclusivity on the iOS for a certain period of time, then that's not equal distribution of 30% tax to all the developers when the the we provide a fair and equitable service argument fall, falls apart in, in and, you know, in, in university, when you're proofing something and you're trying to provide a proof, a proof is broken and is disproven with exactly one counterexample being able to prove the contrary. So if we were to apply that logic to this, this situation, that one counterexample is enough to take, take their whole argument down from, from top to bottom. Epic was in the wrong because they absolutely violated the terms of service agreement. Uh, hey was not in the wrong uh, because they did not violate anything. They just had a login page, but you had to go to the uh, the website to purchase. They did not have any in-app purchases. Uh, and then they tried, and Apple tried to force Hey to say, you need to have sign up on your app in order to be listed on iOS store, which is basically extortion. Uh, and basically the same thing was going on for, for the WordPress app at the same time. And both Hey and WordPress won those arguments while Epic is still embroiled in the legal battle of the century. So... I guess we're we'll all see. very interested to see how they do out of it because if they yeah. can do just as well without it, then oh, they they they're going to be fine because they published today. They're not taking a passive approach; they're taking a crowdsource approach. I like to call it the "How do you fix a troll?" You get all your fan people, boys and girls, to go after the troll. So what they've done today is I got an email because my kid's account of <laughs> explaining. They changed the system now so that normally what happens when they, I don't know what they call it, but like the game arena, they just updated the game arena, which would leave all the Apple people out. They said to the the Apple people, we're making it special that for you, you get to keep using the old game arena and all the other stuff. And then meanwhile, here's the instructions of what to do. So they're just essentially getting their entire army of fans, of which there's hundreds of millions, I think. Um, It's a real problem for Apple because... They can't defend, like Adrian says, they can't defend when the proof is broken or when they violated even one of the, the antitrust Picks actions. Picks one case in order to disprove yeah, their whole just, model. It, it, it was there beforehand. So I find what I find interesting is because this is another argument that I have with a friend of mine who I like, but we get into politics, and he's really smart, but he defends the idea that Apple and other corporations into which he's invested his money should not have to pay taxes. And it's a different argument, but it's the same concept that somehow the fact that they spend their money, or Apple or Google or uh, Amazon, that they spend their money on hiring people and building factories somehow means they should be immune from paying taxes. And I say, I say this is why, because everybody else has to pay taxes on top of anything else they contribute. Because his argument is that somehow his investments will go down. I said, or... If you take the trillions of dollars of lost tax revenue and all of the Fortune 100 companies all pay real taxes in a real fair way, then point is that this particular case causes them a real problem because they get like $2 trillion banked, okay? And as a, a former trial attorney, I cannot think of a better, better client to have than Epic to go after a $2 trillion honeypot, whether it be on a class action suit oh, or yes, a liability yes. suit or whatever. I want to I mean, put it over Well, to yes, me. and, and, uh, and, and I, uh, if they're successful, uh, there will be a wave of lawsuits. Yeah, um, John, what do you think to finish off, John? Yeah, uh, first I want to say it's like Spencer, your friend, like your friend is, in, is completely incorrect about that because I can tell you from sitting in, in different meetings... <laughs> before that the cities often give tax breaks to big employers like that. And they actually give companies that are big employers like that tax incentives to come in to different cities. So uh, they, look at what happened yeah. with the Amazon. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And, and cities bend over backwards for like a bunch of crappy jobs for Amazon just because they want the, the, and tax the cities base. lose yeah. the cities. The lose cities out. do lose. The cities absolutely lose. It's just a prestige thing. 
but when it comes to this, you know, it's, it's basically you get what you negotiate or you're able to negotiate. Um, in this case, you know, if, if Fortnite, they don't, you know, they don't, they don't want to pay the 30%, you know, they're big enough to do that. It's kind of like Taylor Swift not going on Spotify. She's big enough to do that. She doesn't need it. ああ、大変ですね。ですね、ですね。ですね。ですね。ですね。ですね。ですね。ですね。ですね。ですね。ですね。ですね。ですね。ですね。ですね。ですね。ですね。ですね。ですね。ですね。ですね。ですね。です
basically like your your left sidebar with your groups and stuff like that, your main feed in the middle, and then the right sidebar with your you know messenger stuff. It's all basically very similar and nothing really stands out. The post now button is like this dull gray. I mean, it, it's not even like, you know, blue or anything like that, which I think would be like obvious, but it's basically just a mishmash of like everything like blends into one another. For me, I switched like about a month ago. I, I figured they were going to switch it anyway, but yeah. yeah, it's, it's just, I don't know. To me, it's, it's pretty underwhelming and, and you can't, you know, scan into stuff, but what you're trying to find easily. And that's just me. What do you reckon, Spencer? F minus? Um, a C, a C, a B? Um, I'm using it, but begrudgingly, because I'll tell you, it's part of my wean down on it. But what I think is happening is pretty clear in the comments note this. Um, they just wanted to stop developing two different formats. So they've just essentially made iPhone for your desktop because it'll look the same on both. And the one comment is like, seriously, I feel like I'm using a 30-inch iPhone in landscape mode. It's effing horrible. <laughs> uh, it's kind of true because I'm using the new one now because they sort of gave me the ultimatum of use it. Like you guys said, uh, like Agent, I can't find much stuff. Some of this stuff doesn't work. I can't hide the context on the right side. It's sort of a pain in the ass. However, I, I just like, I, I don't care that much because I'm not a power Facebook user. And uh, what I use it for is mostly to track stuff from launch flows and maybe some personal pictures of things that make people happy, like uh, a dog licking John Locke's face or something. But other than that, I don't use Facebook for... Been on the cats. The cats always get me more views. From a UI perspective, one of the things that I learned about creating applications is that white space is valuable. And uh, white space allows you to clearly identify things that are important and things that are less important. For in the old Facebook, the sidebar had no background. It was just the, whatever the background of the screen was, and you had links over top of it. So you could tell that priority was in the middle of the screen when post speed were because all of those had, you know, their, their little white cards with the white backgrounds and then white space in between. Uh, on the new app, uh, everything is white. Uh, so you don't have, it's not as easy to define priority because white space has just totally been like removed from the interface whatsoever. So it's hard to identify, like John said, priority as to where your eyes should focus on. Right now I'm in one of my group. I'm, I'm just looking at my group. Uh, the left sidebar is white. All the posts are white. The context for all of the different group settings is on the right in white. And that's all... <laughs> wrapped in cards and I have no idea where to look and uh, I used to have you used to be well, able to navigate yeah, I mean, my, my husband uses it in, in, in dark mode like everything uh, and, and it really is it's like you know that <clears throat> scene in the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy you know every time you press a little black button on a black background a little black light lights up black to let you know that you've done it like Gutenberg <laughs> it's just like Gutenberg <laughs> It's just all white on the right side and no separation of anything. And you're just like, every time, wait, what am I looking at? What is this? It's literally the same experience. The other part of it, which I haven't discovered, but I bet is there. And I feel bad about this because I'm of the generation that I know what the, it's there, but it wasn't. We started, remember, with the, the original iPhone was, and what, what do they call it? Skeuomorphism, where it's supposed to look like a real thing. And that was awesome. But now everything is secret swipes and gestures. And I have a feeling that the desktop has a lot of stuff hidden in there that I just don't know where to find it. But if I was 30 years younger, I would... Only, only available for the Russians. I, yeah, I mean, or for the Queens. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm, glor- I'm actually gratified that Adrian can't seem to find stuff either because it makes me also think of PayPal. Thanks, Jeff. Where- it's just my eyes. Oh, God. Every time PayPal changes PayPal its interface, wrap, it gets worse. Right? They wrap all their shit with, like, some new hidden thing. It's great running- when, when you, um, Steve, and an agent say they have difficulties as well. It makes me feel better, actually. You know, <laughs> there we go. <laughs> I'm, I'm starting to feel like, I don't know, I am not what I used to be. I, I was talking to my... Well, get little, used to it, Stephen. It only gets worse. Yes, it, keep, it, yes, it, it does not improve, let me tell you. I was you. talking to my little nieces, and they were showing me things on the iPhone that I was just like, what the world? Like, at one point in time, I was on top of all this stuff, and everybody was asking me, and, like, there was just this moment, like, two months ago, where I was just like, well, what is happening to me? Okay. Well, all right, that's fair enough. What What is happening? Oh, um, 
I think we go for a break and we'll come back. I've got some more good stories to delve in. The panel seems excited, but they seem to be warming up to it. So we'll be back in a few moments, listeners and viewers. Are you a WordPress consultant, designer, or small digital agency owner? Then you need WPTonic as your trusted white-label developer partner for your next big e-learning or WooCommerce project. WPTonic has the knowledge to help you build out custom functionality that your clients need in LearnDash, Lifter LMS, and WooCommerce. WPTonic is well-known and trusted in the WordPress community. They stand behind their work with a full, no-question-asked, 30-day money-back guarantee. So don't delay. Find out how WPTonic's white-label services can help your agency today. Go to wp-tonic.com's homepage and book a free consultation with Jonathan. That's wp-tonic, just like the podcast. We're coming back. We've had a good first half. Had a few digs. I've made a few wise cracks. Adrian didn't laugh at any of them, but there we go. Our, um, so <laughs> so on, on we go. But first, I must mention about one of my other great sponsors, and that's WP Fusion. If you've got um, a relationship manager, like um, email uh, marketing tool, like Active Campaign Drip, and you've got a WordPress website, you need WP Fusion. It will put the whole process on steroids. It enables you to do all sorts of crazy automizations, which will make you love it and also make your clients love you. So I suggest that you go over to WP Fusion, look at all the amazing things you can do with their product, buy one of them and tell them that you heard about them on the WP Tonic Show. So on to story three, um, full site editing in WordPress Lowering barrier to entry, the end of themes. What do you reckon of this one, Stephen? Oh, man. Um, it just feels like it's going to be super messy. Like, you think WordPress feels convoluted and where, you, where you're supposed to click stuff. Um, I feel like it's taking, as Gutenberg gets into that space, right, like where you have all this, like, non-hierarchical kind of thing. From what I've seen from screenshots, it kind of feels like the same thing, but maybe it's just because everything's moving again and I have to get used to where to click and where everything's at. But um, from what I've yeah, seen well, from the screenshots, yeah, I'm not those, excited. It's, it's one of those things where for brand new users who've never touched WordPress, it may not be any more difficult than when we were learning WordPress, but for people who are used to doing it one way, but also, of course, we know Gutenberg is having a lot of growing pains, <clears throat> and you know they they have to change the way they've done some things because they can't, you know, because of the other things they're trying to do, and also because of like God only knows what, like hiding the drag handle. Um, See, I just want to slightly interrupt. Um, I think this is caused because there's definitely different bubbles, different groups in this discussion. If you're somebody that's either got an eye for graphics or thinks you've got an eye for graphic design, and there's some people that actually think they're really good at it and they're terrible, but if they say you do have an eye for graphic design or you're a graphic designer by profession, you probably don't need any preset themes. Um, But I think the bulk of... DIY business owners, average, maybe medium to power users, they do need themes. Um, but yes, it is. I mean, it's it's going to be great for the people like, and I've had clients like this, you know, they want to be able to change every little tiny thing. They, they just, they want to fiddle with it. They're, you know, they have artistic sensibilities or whatever. And um, well, they think, well, they think they do. Well, in in this case, the person has you know plenty of of artistic skill, but not necessarily a lot of understanding about usability and and so on and so forth. And then there are the people who really they just want to you know put the text in and and you know they they don't think that way and they don't necessarily want it. But the the title of this piece is like sort of one of those fake contradictions because you know that lowering the barriers to entry in the end of themes are not necessarily uh, exclusive uh, or, you know, the end of themes as we know it. And Spencer's been talking about that for a long time. Uh, and I think other people have too, that that your theme is, you know, a little bit 
more than a container with uh, maybe, you know, some fonts and, and colors and things defined. And then you lay other things out. But, you know, if clients decide, uh, and uh, some of them have, you know, if an end user decides, I want to make the header look different on every page, well, they can do that. Uh, you know, their site's going to suffer from it. Uh, but, uh, you know, yeah, it, yeah, if, it's so. your, if it's your site and you want to build it that way, well, you know, um, that's what's going to happen. Yeah. I, I'm not going to sit there and do it for you. But. Yeah. No. So, Agent, um, on one of your webinars recently, I think you had the people buddy boss on, you know, and they got their theme, and it, you know, but it's also, it's a kind of theme application, isn't it? it it's a kind of hybrid, isn't it? So what do you reckon? Um, because I, I think the classical theme, well, if you call it, ta- it doesn't really matter. You can either call them templates, themes, whatever. I still think there's going to be a need for them. What do you reckon, Adrian? Well, I mean, CSS has got to come from somewhere. So I think uh, for the, the vast majority of uh, theme functionality will be delegated to the style.css file and possibly just like managing footer widgets because that's going to be a little bit harder to phase out. Uh, so stuff like the footer widgets and the menu and, and for example, if you use Astra, the, the actual page template that's going on. Um, I guess it really remains to be seen. It's coming. It's on the way. So, uh, you know, Look forward to it, and when he gets here, you won't be disappointed. (laughs) (laughs) What do you reckon, John? Yeah, I mean, themes are definitely going to change. I mean, it's not going to be the same. I mean, um, yeah, it won't be the same. But I don't, I don't know that it necessarily lowers the bar. Just because you have, uh, you know, things that you can drag and drop and move around doesn't mean that people, the average person, the non-tech, technologically savvy person, can. Uh, assemble a site that's going to get them somewhere um, or I guess, I guess do they the even have the desire to move and drag and drop to where right I guess yeah. that's probably the, the <coughs> where is going to become like the theme will be the context and right. then full site editing will, will allow you to put content within that context and that's what the theme is really going to be regulated to is providing that context yeah, yeah. what do you reckon Spencer um all good points. I think the place I'd focus my energy is on the, what's underlying this all. The thing that's happening is the metaphor of WordPress being conspiracy here. Within the conspiracy. Can you hear me? It's, it's, it's not a conspiracy if you believe it. Um, it used to be WordPress was here. Well, more like a vertical cake. But like there's a layer of a cake. WordPress. Then there was a layer of themes that were completely independently owned and controlled and operated. Then there were plugins, and then there were whatever else you added. What's happening here is that WordPress is moving to get rid of the ability for outside people to control the theme layer and replace the classic editor with something that is a page builder and that acts like part of the core WordPress. Now, does that mean that nobody will be able to do anything? No, it's actually a good thing that that's happening in some ways because we don't need the theme layer right now. Right now, I have to explain to all my clients, look, use Astra free and don't do anything with it other than maybe uh, individual page stuff. Everything you want to do should be in the page builder layer. And that's further compounded because when you use something like a Buddy Boss framework or you use LearnDash, they're trying to jam their own design. But at WordPress, the good result is that we should have a blank canvas to start with. The problem comes initially, and I kind of agree with what all of you said, especially Sally, that those of us who are used to having that layer are going to have to scramble to kind of restructure ourselves and our clients to work with like WordPress has its own blank canvas by default. And somebody's going to have to, I don't know, make a shortcut plug in to just get past what Gutenberg difficulties are. But here's where it gets interesting. Once that is sorted out, it's my opinion that all bets are off, that the, the war will be further escalated between those who want to be with automatic and those that don't. Because once automatic controls that entire experience, which is what they're doing, Elementor and all the other page builder companies are going to have a, a bigger struggle to overcome. Like, 
people saying, why do I need to buy Elementor? Why do I need to use a page builder? Because everything is already in there. And if you're a newbie and you've got a budget, you're not going to find any reason to do it. So that sort of will exacerbate this like Epic versus Apple or, you know, Elementor versus WordPress kind of a problem of, hey, where are people going to go if they want to build things a certain way? What I feel is that I would probably go towards the place where all the other third parties are more welcome. And right now, I don't feel that's the direction that WordPress Automatic is going. They're working to exclude things with double standards, the Jetpack, WooCommerce has become this sort of trap of stuff. Even the companies that make stuff for WooCommerce, like Skyverge, have gotten bold enough. Did you notice now, if you use any of the plugins like WooCommerce subscriptions, that Skyverge jams its own interface with email in it into the dashboard? How is that possible? What company is allowed to make a plugin for subscriptions that creates an entirely different interface with email directly to the company in it? Nobody would get away with that if they weren't owned by Automatic. So again, you know, the waves or the, whatever, the ocean's parting and you're going to have to probably... They've always been, been true from not defending it, but they've always been a bit like that, and they? They're always... Yeah, it's just a progress for the goal. They've always been a little bit hypocritical, are not they? I mean, you know... Well, you saw this, all, all humans are at least a little bit hypocritical. I know I am. <laughs> you, you, right. you saw this in other places, like in the years of old when open source uh, Linux stuff. I wasn't a Linux user, but there was a company that essentially made it all good for everybody. And then what happened is somebody commercialized it. I think it was Red Hat. I don't want to misname it. But then there became this whole pissing contest of, but wait, you took my free stuff that I gave to you and you sold it. Now you're making all the money and I'm going out of business. Well, that's what's happening here. The money people are telling Automatic, get your shit and, you know. Yeah, I think, I think, the, I think the market is in a flux. But when the, um, when the market's in the flux, there's going to be winners and losers fundamentally. So there will be opportunities it's really, you know, what you know. I think the theme was essential because with, because it was unless you were a developer or you had a certain level of CSS HTML skills, um, it was hard um, to do any major manipulation. You know, the editor was quite primitive, but now in two twenty twenty, you got the opposite. You know. Unless you lock it, you know, in Alamator and in Beaver Builder, you can lock, as the designer, developer, you can lock sections down, can't you? So making them non-editable, you can do that. Um, but it's just a lot more freedom. Where, where there's freedom, there's responsibility, isn't there? IBM invested billions of dollars and others like them invested billions of dollars into the fax machine. And guess what? Nobody sends faxes anymore. So, no, but they made they made piles of money while it happened, and, and, and that's the same. Same can be same for all of the premium themes out there. Tough. Get with it. Well, yeah, I mean, you 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 you'll find a way to adapt, or you know, or or adapt not. Or and and uh, you know, I think if you have run your uh, you know your page builder company. In such a way that that you know it's been profitable, uh, and you kind of come to the end of page builders. If that's what happens, then you know you're in a decent position to you know retire from being a page builder. Well, I don't even think this something is something else. I actually, I actually don't think this is. The but situation. I don't. But I don't know that we're at the end of of page builders for quite a the, long time now. It's not the end. It's the difference between. Wait, have you ever heard that theory? I don't know what it's called, but like if you if you took a human and you replaced their body parts with robotic parts. At what point do you have so many robotic parts that you stop being a human? I'm saying with WordPress, if you replace all of its functions with third-party plugins and page builders, at what point is WordPress more important than the other stuff anymore? I'm saying the waters are parting towards a, if Elementor and a few key plugins can do 99% of what WordPress can do, and you just need that sort of underlying thing to, to hold them all, well, that becomes a whole different architecture. Or a oh, yeah, because you, you really, you're talking, about, uh, to some extent, a situation like what happens with WordPress. With, um, like all know, it is is a database uh, at that point. Wo- WooCommerce, I meant, sorry. And, well, which, which, which could be an interesting avenue for 
the elementors and and so on because then they're like well then then you can use elementor with joomla or with drupal or with or anything with javascript remember we were talking the other couple of months ago like you have a new interface that's javascript yeah. based ojs or whatever so if enough people got together and took that you minimize the importance of the underlying wordpress core fork it now it's like which is a better system the one that does that with the individual third-party components all optimized or the one that comes from matt mullenweg and where's Otto WordPress? By the way, where is Otto? Where is Otto? This the is qu- it. The question, um, go on, go on Stephen. I was, the, the question at the end of the day is like, who owns the customer, right? Like that's what we're kind of discussing. Like yeah. does WordPress own the customer? And for a theme, generally, people are a bigger fan of WordPress than they are the theme that they're using. But in cases of like Elementor, just for argument, Elementor has like such a big fan base right now that I would say that there is a good portion of that group that is more is a customer of Elementor and not a customer of WordPress, meaning Elementor moves, they would move with Elementor and they don't care what WordPress is doing. For sure. Um, and that's and that's the place like where you are where, where like this discussion is going is who owns the customer at the end of the day because that yeah, I think, will I think, yeah. whoever owns them. That's that's why I think the underlying reason Yeah God forbid would, the customer should own themselves. Uh, well, <laughs> that, I think that's the underlying reason, Stephen, why this discussion has some importance because that's so John, what do you reckon? Yeah, I think that's basically it. I mean that exactly what Stephen and Spencer and Sally just said, you know. Uh you know, it, definitely there's some page builders where uh, I don't think it's page builders are going away yet. I mean, I think for WordPress, that's their goal because yeah. they have to to make money and selling hosting, VIP hosting is not cutting it. But th- that's probably the, their their play is to become like a Wix clone or a Squarespace clone. But I definitely think if a plugin like Elementor um, went and created their own ecosystem, definitely a lot of design shops would you know, just keep their, their clients on it. Because I think at the end of the day, the, you know, uh, most clients... I don't think the clients care. care no, they do HIT. not care. They the, do the clients do not care what the technology no, is they if, do they, not care. if they, they get the result care. they want. So it's, it's whatever the agencies and consultants choose for them and tell them is the best. And that's basically it. Yeah, so. they don't. that's what they're hiring you, for you to work all that out, not for them to work all that out. All right, on to the next story, on to the next. Um, Google has a plan to disrupt college degrees. So, Adrian, what did you think of this one? I thought, I thought it was pretty interesting. Uh, when, we were, when I worked in the agency, we were hiring a couple Google AdWords specialists, and our only requirement was that they had the Google AdWords certificate. Uh, that was the only prerequisite for getting an interview. And, and we hired people who had the Google certificate. And I think for uh, in-demand jobs, that's certainly going to be enough. I know that I learned zero practical knowledge while at university for the three years that I attended. Uh, and I did all of my practical learning uh, on YouTube and at home building my first company, Formlift. And as I was doing that, I learned significantly more than I ever would have had I continued for the other three years it would have taken me to finish doing school part-time. So uh, for, those, for those people looking for in-demand jobs at a fraction, like a, like, a, like a hundredth of a percentile of the cost of traditional university, I think more and more employers are, are dropping the undergrad requirement in order to get an interview. Uh, it's it's in in ten years. It's going. I don't. I I think, like right. what fifty percent require it now. It's going to go down to like right. Like I mean, the thing is, a uni- a university degree was never meant to be a like a job training thing. It was it was all it was created as a very elite, um, a- abstract. Uh, a, well, it just depends. You know, if you're training, if you're training to be a lawyer or a doctor, that that doesn't quite apply, does it, Sally? Well, except that law school and and uh, medical school are you know sort of separate follow-on institutions, and and your uh, you know your but your undergrad study, uh, you know, started out as a liberal arts kind of a thing, and it was the province of the independently wealthy, uh, and you know I think that if you're not independently wealthy, you should still be able to get that type of education. But if what you want, you know, if what you're focused on is I want a job that pays well, uh, your your traditional undergraduate degree is pretty much irrelevant. Um, and, you know, 
<clears throat> I think that it's valuable to it's valuable to have the broader context of education. I, I don't regret the time that I spent going to school, uh, but uh, it isn't. Uh, no, know, something just, that matters uh, for for being able yeah. to do a a job well. Yeah, I just think we you know we we live in exciting times when it comes to education. I I, I only know when I was running a business in the nineties that under New Labour under Tony Blair they expanded university access enormously, and it was done partially for cynically cynical political and for higher principles you know when you get that in politics there's normally a, a bit of signal cynical factor mixed in with a with a more higher principle combined and the cynical thing is they just they just wanted to get a lot of young people off the unemployment role what was that what was a quick easy way of doing that expand higher education and push them all into universities you know had the effect it reduced youth unemployment quite dramatically. The actual quality of the courses and the outcomes weren't so good, but that was the political. The the, the uh, more higher thing was to expand higher education in England and Wales and Scotland to a much broader um, realm of the population. Well, uh, it's you know that the, when I was in. In England, they had pretty much just switched, you know, to the uh, the polyversities, uh, uh, and that that was basically a political move to to say there were you know more people in university because uh, you know the stats didn't look so good. But it, it was, so all the polytechnics where you went to learn job related skills were suddenly rebranded as universities, um, and. You know, I don't know that that's a, a good move in practical terms because, uh, you know, a, a place to go to learn job skills is a good thing to have uh, and to uh, to maintain that mission. Anyway, I, I, I'm all in favor of, you know, Google's initiatives to, you know, help train people for these, uh, you know, particular so Stephen, jobs. Yes. So, Stephen, do you like, do you think more like, I think also Apple... Um, have been murmuring that they're going to be entering the higher education. I think, you know, these big tech companies, when they've got these enormous piles of money, they've got to look at really big markets to invest, to make a difference to their bottom line, you know. So the two big inefficient industries in America are education and, and medicine, isn't it? So I think that Amazon, Apple, even face all the big Walmart, all those that got big piles of money must be looking at those two industry sectors to try and disrupt them. Would you agree with that, Stephen? You mean from an education standpoint? Or? Well, I think education and medicine are two big white wells, aren't they? They, they, you know, they, they're just ripe for disruption, aren't they? Both of them, really, aren't they? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think anything that's been around for more than 20 years is right for disruption right now, regardless of what it is. Um, I think there's a part of me that kind of struggles still with this idea of you get this certification. Sure, it's more efficient. It's more cost effective. But at the end of the day, it's kind of just doing what college has done. Like, have this. you have to fulfill this set of requirements, and then you get this piece of paper and then you can are you're able to do these jobs. Like, sure, it's cheaper, sure, it's faster, so maybe it's better. But I think the whole mentality needs to shift away from a piece of paper and a course is what certifies you to more of what have you done, what problems have you thought through, what have you tried to do by yourself? Like if you're hiring a developer and they've gone through college, but they've never developed a website before, or all they've done is a certificate program and they don't have like, oh, I developed this website for a friend's band and I developed this website for my personal blog. And, oh, I'm, you know, or if you're a social media person and they run an Instagram account for their pet, like you want to see actual tangible things that they've done in the real world. And Google saying, oh, here's another alternative way to get a piece of paper kind of feels like it's just cheaper and more efficient. So maybe that's a good thing, but it's not changing the overall, like how we're actually thinking through how to hire people. Well, right. I mean, it's, you know, are you hiring someone at the entry level 
in which case you don't expect them to know a lot and they're going to learn things while they work. And anyway, technology changes very fast. Or are you hiring somebody that can demonstrate they understand some things about problem solving? And, and you know, for that, you know, for that level, it can be helpful to have certain kinds of education that help you think that way. Um, but if you have the experience that has taught you to think that way, uh, that works equally well. Um, I mean, you know, I, I was tell- remember telling my father about all the, the various exams involved in getting a, a, a PhD that you've got, you know, uh, language exams, you have qualifying exams, you have preliminary exams, and then you have the dissertation. And, and you know, my father's response was, so at the end of this, do you belong to the fraternity? Belong to Sonny. So, Spencer... You know, the the only thing is, you know, the private university sector in the US, I don't know um, similar outcomes have happened in other countries, but didn't exactly work, it hasn't exactly worked out that well with a substantial, with the reputation of, I'll just put it, the reputation of fully private universities in the US isn't fantastic as a, as a totality. So it's going to be interesting. But on the other hand, it's obviously that the present system is ripe for disruption. It's just going to be interesting to see where that... I I think it probably... My only guess it will come from Apple or Google or somebody that's got a lot of money, but also got some credibility to some some level. All right. Well, I wonder if we're ending up heading back to the, you know, basically the kind of company town model. I think it's the opposite. I think it's company store. This is an emperor's new clothes story. So, at some point, higher education—not dissimilar from a company town, but for a different reason—became how do we train people to be mindless cogs in our industrial wheel? Well, right. the reason that um, K twelve education became that was exactly the company towns. Right. That was where it started because they needed to teach kids the basic ways, essentially, as they went up how to function in our factories. And then what happened was post-World War II and with the other degrees and the GI Bill and everything else, he realized that to solve unemployment, we need to allow for other agencies and other larger companies to, to have people willing to say, if you get this thing that we'll pay for or discount, you'll come to work for us for 35 years, you'll get your pension, your gold watch, you'll retire, you'll have your house in Leventown, everything will be great. And for my parents' generation and maybe grandfather's generation, that's the truth, it worked. Now we're seeing that the cracks in that foundation come out. And here's what's really changing. And this is part of it. The George Bush II uh, presidency allowed corporations to realize they could package up educational loans like the mortgage loans and sell them to third parties. They compounded that by making them bank proof, uh, bankruptcy proof which is what has essentially created this gigantic bubble of debt that's hanging over. The universities that were otherwise like University of Illinois, state schools who were there for public service of creating cogs and wheels decided, you mean we can sell our $600 a semester education for $6,000 or $16,000 or $60,000 and we can become like those Harvards and and, and they did. They marketed the hell out of it. They spent the money on building up all this infrastructure and everything else. But then the reality didn't work out. There aren't no 50-year, 35-year jobs and gold watches. And now kids are coming into the second of all these recessions. And da, 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 da. Now the final threat is the pandemic reveals that you can do more from home on Zoom and you can learn from a remote place for 300 bucks or self-taught a skill that will get you a $90,000 a year job. So now the universities are in a utter panic because right now they can't even send the kids to school this semester because they're all getting sick and bringing it home to mom and dad who are paying those bills and so forth. So what's going to happen is, who knows? For sure what's going to happen is though the universities are going to have to drastically change their marketing and offer because the only thing that they can tangibly do to compete with things like this is the experience of college. In other words, like living with people your own age and making mistakes and screwing up, that was the college experience for almost everybody in an undergrad. And as Sally rightly pointed out, I went on to higher degrees. I was a psychology speech comm major or rhetoric major in college. I used to say I majored in unemployment because there was no 
value to that at all, other than I spent four years learning how to be an adult, where I ran a couple businesses and I made money more than the cost of college because it was $600 a semester. But today, to go to University of Illinois or something and come out with $300,000 in debt for a liberal arts degree in psychology, that would be insane. So who knows what's happening, but definitely what is going to happen. There's no way they're putting that genie back in the bottle. There's no way that the state schools or the liberal arts arts colleges or the small, like uh, the part-time schools are going to be able to afford to pretend that coming here is some magic trick that's going to get you anything. Instead, they're going to have to do this kind of shenanigan or offer a campus reality experience where you come here and you live for $5,000 a year with other kids while you're taking your Zoom classes or something. And I think that's exciting because Peter Thiel was talking about this a long time ago. And look at all the successful entrepreneurs. They all dropped out of Harvard or something for good reason. The skills matter. But now the field is leveled to prove that skills are all that matter. Like literally no. nobody. Well, it, oh, yes. I mean, the thing oh, is, oh, but, think, the, but, the, uh, but all the startup yeah, founders who dropped out just, of Stanford have the connections at Stanford uh, that, and Harvard. The part, that's the part that is the value of the college yeah, experience. Right. Like I know you are my alumni. I yeah, do this so, I, so Adrian, do, do you not feel that you got any benefit of mixing with other people that were interested in the same things as you? That experience is not replaceable. So, I mean, I joined a fraternity. I was one of the boys. Like, was I, you? Had, I had a great time. You were one um, of the boys, were you? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, had a, I had a great time. I learned a lot about politics because, you know, fraternities are basically just all politics. But our, our own little mini boardroom. And uh, so a yeah. lot of, a lot of you know, N, NPL. Like uh, I, I learned a lot about business while I was there. I mean, fraternities are basically just, you know, we got to make money somehow. So sales and and where to find the money was uh, was a big thing I learned there. Uh, a lot of practical application came out of that house versus out of the university in of itself. Uh, so the college experience, there's certainly something to be said for that. Uh, but a lot of people don't do the college experience anymore because they're more concerned about the college grade. Uh, I mean, I... Our, our fraternity was not... Or they're, or they're, they're just more concerned about the college loan. Uh, <sighs> if I can finish, that's okay. It's too expensive to <laughs> dick around anymore. It wasn't like a load on well, your... Well, let Adrian finish, will you? Go on, Adrian. Is that okay? So, I mean, Sorry, I, I, I adopted the mentality of, of, of C's get degrees. Uh, as I was going through uh, through college, I was like, you know, I'll I'll get the work done, I'll get good enough, and I'll I'll get my piece of paper because I'm focused on other stuff like my first business, and then I eventually just dropped out because I'm like I can do better things with my time. Uh, but the college experience was was definitely worthwhile. But a lot of people that I knew and a lot of friends who uh, I went to the same university with my high school, you know, it's like down the block. Uh, forfeited essentially their college experience and their social life in favor of being super stressed out about I need to get a 4.0 GPA in order to be qualified to do anything remotely worthwhile after college Uh, because that's the way that people believe or or that's at least what we're taught to believe in in high school and school before that is that, you know, it's it's 4.0 GPA or bust. Uh, so that the, the college experience is therefore diluted by that mentality of people going to school. I was brought, I was raised a little bit differently, so I, I didn't necessarily have that mentality. I was do, busy doing other things, but a lot of people did. So if the continuation of like same old, same old and the same marketing and the same mentality is instilled into new students entering university, the college experience isn't even a, a valid selling point because... They don't believe that it that it's worthwhile. So that's 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 the rub. That's yeah, I think you made some great points when I. Yeah, well, I, I went to college with people who, you know, uh, went to the parties, uh, had the experience, graduated magna cum laude. So, um, <clears throat> you know, it it, it was uh, uh, there was more emphasis on being able to think for yourself. But yeah, the 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 problem is you come out of most. Uh, high schools it, with this um, be a good little drone uh, get the grades uh, and, and will reward you mentality uh, and it doesn't equip you to think for yourself uh, because they don't want you to think for yourself they want you to do what, they, what, what you tell them and I found this was actually more true when I was teaching in, in England than when I was teaching in America 
Um, it was like pulling teeth to get them to have opinions. Opinions? You don't have opinions when you're English. God's that, that to uh, God's sake, dude, that's rude. That is. There we go. <laughs> uh, right. Uh, um, let's, let's go on to our recommendation of the week. And I've been a bit lazy, but I am going to put some links. I've been doing a little bit of rereading of the French Revolution, a period that fascinates me. Roussel, the national guillotine, the national razor. Uh, guillotine. Um, Yes, the guillotine. Guillotine. Guillotine, yes. I'm sorry. However, uh, American. I'll pronounce it the English way. Uh, um, uh, um, I don't know. Uh, um, And I'll be putting some links into some great resources because they say history doesn't repeat itself, and it doesn't, but in some ways it does. And um, I think... I think um, we might be entering a period of of similar outcomes to some extent. Uh, um, Spencer, got any recommend recommendation for the listeners and viewers? And please put them all in chat, please, a panel. Um, this week, one of the companies that we keep talking about, Elementor, uh, essentially shit the bed, and uh, <laughs> they did a unwarranted un. Did you say shit the bed or shift the bed? Shit the bed. (laughs) Drop the deuce in the bed. Because they released this version 3.0 and didn't prepare anybody in any reasonable way for how badly coded this was or what it meant. And so what happened was everybody woke up. And this is something I had suggested we talked about this week. But essentially, why auto-updates is not such a great idea is yeah. this, is that like everybody who had Elementor just assumed, hey, everything's been great, updated it, and 3.0 broke just about everybody's normal functionality. And it had two layers because you had the regular plugin, the pro plugin, and to roll back meant you had to know the combination in the right order and what to do or what was wrong. And it went from 3.0 to 3.03 in two days, and they still haven't really fixed it all. But the point is, Kinsta... I think a host uh, sponsor of this yeah. show uh, had a great article on what to do to roll back to older versions of plugins and so forth. And yeah, I was imagine their support have had a few requirements. <laughs> yeah, but this would have been probably very useful because there are actually plugins in place that allow you, if it's in the repository for sure, but even in the plugins themselves, there's ways to roll back stuff. So this is a good article for anybody who has clients or has sort of found themselves in that. Oh, I wish I hadn't done that. Without necessarily doing what we always do anyway, which is to go to an earlier backup, this is just literally the plug-in rollback, not the whole site. Well, this is security um, fixes, or it's come on our radar. We don't we don't update every plugin. We have a set schedule, yeah. but um, we just learned the hard way that it's best to give any kind of update to any kind of plugin at least three to four days. Because otherwise, um, you, 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 after you've been bitten in the backside a few times, you le- you learn by it. You know, um, Stephen, have you got anything you want to re- recommend to listeners of yours? Uh, yeah, I'm just going to recommend the Updraft uh, backup plugin for that same exact reason that Spencer was talking about. Uh, when when people f up their sites, aka Elementor, we had a lot of support tickets coming in from people on Elementor, and like Elementor fixed problems, but then it caused problems in other plugins that were relying on Elementor, which is like this convoluted mess of like plugins updating plugins. Uh, when you have a backup plugin that you're writing that's reliable and good, sometimes the best thing to do is just revert to like a four hour old backup, and everything's good again. It's all lovely and back to normal. So nice. John, have you got anything you want to recommend to this as a muse? Yeah. What I put in was an uh, article on probabilistic thinking in the SEO, which is uh, it encourages people to think about uh, or try and calculate like the probability that some action that you take in SEO is going to have a positive effect. But really interesting article makes you think, um, so go check that out. Yeah, we've all got this thing that actually doing something will actually solve something. doesn't always work out that way, actually. Adrian, have you got anything you want to recommend to the listeners and viewers? 
Yeah, I, uh, I did a webinar yesterday with Ryan Moore from Uncanny Owl. They make the Uncanny Automator plugin, and uh, it's currently available. Uh, the replay is currently available on our Facebook page, which I've linked. It's also going to be made available later today on YouTube. Uh, and it's a pretty cool. It's a pretty cool hour. Uh, Ryan shows us how to do a lot of cool things uh, with. He's automation. a bright guy, isn't he? He's yeah, a su- super sweet plugin that they got. Super sweet tech, and uh, I learned a lot. And I think whoever watches it will also learn a lot. So I think it's it's an incredibly worthwhile. Yeah, it was a good webinar. You did a good job, right, Sally? Um, got anything you want to recommend to this and some views? Uh, yes. <clears throat> uh, Steve Levitt of Freakonomics fame has a new podcast called People I Mostly Admire. Uh, And his first interview is with Steven Pinker. And there is a lot of good stuff in there about um, like how people think uh, and, and why people are, are like so bad at at judging certain things. Um, And so I, I put the, uh, the link to it on Stitcher, but uh, you know it should be in it should be in whatever podcast app. I don't think it has its own uh, website at this point uh, because it's because it's pretty new. But uh, it, but very enjoyable, you know. In in your copious spare time, I mean, I, I listen to a lot of different podcasts, and it's hard it's hard to keep up, uh, and harder to keep up when I'm at home more because driving is a good opportunity to listen to podcasts. It is. That's one of the problems of the pandemic. No, don't do so much driving, do you? Yes. There you go. Right, panel. Um, thanks, listeners and viewers. I just want to promote a webinar that me and Adrian are going to be doing on Tuesday, the 1st of September at 9am Pacific Standard Time. It's going to be about how to use marketing automation with your membership site. Um Adrian's going to be going through three major principles. Hopefully, I'm going to be hosting it to the required standard that Adrian is looking for. Uh, um, But it should be a laugh, and I won't be interrupting Adrian. I'll be allowing him to explain to you. So it should be a great thing to join. How do you sign up for it? It's quite easy. Go to the WP Tonic website. On the main navigation is a big button that says free webinar. You click it and you'll be able to sign up. We'll see you next week with another great roundtable show and a great panel. We'll see you soon, folks. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to the WP Tonic Podcast, the podcast that gives you a dose of WordPress medicine twice a week.